April showers bring May flowers. So we're we're on And that. May flowers bring pilgrims. <laughs> In just a second, Lynn and I will be talking to Ron Himes from the Black Rep about their performance of UB. Then around minute 17, we'll talk about the passing of Harry Belafonte and Andy Cohen getting his star on the Walk of Fame. Then around minute 29, we'll talk about Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Then around minute 47, Ghosted. Then around minute 54, Showing Up. Then around minute 53, Peter Pan and Wendy on Disney+. Plus. Then around minute 57, Carol King, Home Again. Then we wind up with a theater roundup. Carl, I'm very excited because we have one of the titans of theater in St. Louis with us today. We have Ron Himes of the Black Rep. Welcome back, Ron. We're so excited to have you with us. And first of all, congratulations on the stellar season you're having so far. And also uh, your big night at the St. Louis Theater Circle Awards because you won seven awards for four different productions i don't think that's ever happened where we we've had four awards and he won best director for two shows at the uh, well two shows tied at the rep for best production so at the black rep so it was behind the sheet between the sheet behind behind the sheets behind the sheets you know what we get that wrong all the time behind the sheet and jitney Uh, Yes, yes. And you were there. And Brian uh, was, uh, I was in the same aisle as Brian. So I kept uh, getting up for him to to go up on stage and give the speech. And he talked about your vision. So Uh applaud you because what a great season it was last year. I actually couldn't decide uh, which play I liked better. But I, uh, you know, because the African company presents richard the third what was also yeah incredibly yeah. powerful and moving yeah we uh we we had a really really good season last year and just uh was very proud of the work of all of the you know actors and designers to really allow us to present such powerful work last season and now you're going to honor one of the legends in uh, American music, U.B. Uh, Blake, with his yeah. uh, self-titled musical U.B., which is a review. And I feel oh, it's not it's not like there are any other U.B.s that it could be about. <laughs> How many other U.B.s do you know? <laughs> no, when I remember before his passing in 1983, he was frequently on the Tonight Show. Yes. And especially yes, yes. when the musical was on Broadway in 1978, 79, <laughs> he was being celebrated so much. But tell us about UB and, and uh, the musical that you are um, going to have starting May 2nd. It's coming up. Yes, yes. Well, you know, and the interesting thing is this will actually be the third time that I that we have produced UB. Uh, he, originally, we produced the show in 1985 uh, at the old 23rd Street Theater down on 23rd and St. Louis Avenue. And for that production, we actually bought 
the Broadway stock of costumes. And oh, so wow. we had the original costumes and we still have a couple of them that are still intact that we hope to have on display in the lobby for this production. Uh, the second product, second time we produced the play was in 1999 at the Grandel Theater. And Mr. Neil Tate was our musical director. The incredible thing about that was Neil Tate was the orchestrator for the Broadway production of UB. And oh, the story gosh. that he told us was that in visiting UB one day at his house, they went down in the basement and began pulling music. And the music that they pulled became the music that they compiled to put together the review for you before the show. And so to have Mr. Tate here, who wrote the original orchestration to be our musical director in, 1990, in our 1999 production was just amazing. And so here we are now in 2023, producing it for the third time. And uh, we're still using some of Mr. Tate's charts. We're going <laughs> back and forth from the material that we rented, but also looking at the original charts that Mr. Tate wrote for the company. And we've got a wonderful, wonderful cast of young talent in this production. Wow. Well, who uh, is going to be uh, in the Gregory Fines role? Uh, Robert Crenshaw is oh. doing a lot of the tap work in the show and actually is covering a lot of the numbers that Gregory Hines covered in the original production. Yes. Okay. Well, that's wonderful because I've seen him before and he's really good. And yes. uh, uh, well, Gregory Hines was such a master. It's, it's so sad that he died so young. Yes, yes. You know, in that original production, it was Gregory and his brother, Maurice. and Who was older were, than Gregory. Yes. And is still yes. alive. He is. He's living in the actor's home in New Jersey now. And, um, but doing well. And uh, uh, I've been in touch with Terry Burrell, who was also in the original Broadway production. And um, it's just, you know, every day in rehearsal. Last night was the band's first night in rehearsal. And so of course that took everything up a notch. The singers just started, of course, singing better and more energy in the room. And um, we are really, really excited as we're approaching tech this weekend and looking forward to the opening on Cinco de Maya. Aha, that'll be, uh, that'll be really fun. The uh, I'm looking forward to it because I've never seen it, and uh, -huh. uh, because I think people you're going to introduce this to a new generation because people uh that are not familiar with the Harlem Renaissance uh exactly. gonna, are going to get another lesson about the jazz and the ragtime and what he did for vaudeville and how groundbreaking he was. Because when I was reading his bio, uh, when he started collaborating with Noble Sissel and uh, he, they were the first African-Americans to break so many barriers in music and they did not perform in blackface minstrel type things. Not at all, no, not at all. Uh, they were very, very elegant, 
very talented and um, very much about affecting change in musical theater. And I think had a tremendous impact on musical theater as we know it today. Uh, you know, they had a tremendous uh, ensemble in that original production of Shuffle Along, which opened on Broadway in 1921. A lot of people say, you know, uh, Shuffle Along is really the show that sort of kicked off the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, certainly, Langston Hughes said it was the reason he moved to Harlem. And, um, but, you know, in the chorus of that original production of Shuffle Along was Adelaide Hall, Josephine Baker, Paul Robeson. And so, you know, those were chorus members. And so you can imagine what the level of talent was in that original production it was just amazing. It had a long Broadway run and then toured. Uh -huh. Well, also you have you have music in the show from before the turn of the century all the way up until UB Blake retired in I want to say like right before 1960. So mm -hmm. it spans a whole two or Almost. three generations of music. Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, Noble Sissel and UB, you know, began working together like in the 1890s, and um, you know. Um, and just and UB continued to work. I think he was like 103 when he passed, and you know continued to work. And again, as Lynn said, you know, in '78 when the musical went to Broadway, you know he just got a, a a spike in his career and started making public appearances again. But this production, UB has not been produced many times. Uh, lately by anyone. And so, you know, we're really, really happy to be able to present the work and, as you say, introduce it to a new generation. And it's actually great introducing it to a new generation of performers because most of these cast members didn't know this music, uh, were not familiar with it. And, uh, you know, we spent quite a bit of time um, making sure that we introduced them to the style of music and um, and how it uh, impacted the industry. Well, I bet it has a great energy to it because they uh, it had to be so exciting to be alive then the creativity involved. And if Josephine Baker and Paul Robeson were in the chorus, yes, you can imagine the uh, the the joy the youthful energy and they're all feeding off each other and the creativity and it's just exciting to see well, i was looking there's 23 songs so this will really give a good representation of his uh lengthy career and i'm sure there's so many songs that we've heard before that we just didn't realize were his and uh well, the, like my the, the most famous song from this show is a song that I knew that Daffy Duck sang in one of the Merry Melodies. He sang, <laughs> I'm just wild about Harry in Yankee Doodle Daffy. Aha. Uh -huh. So uh, yes, it was. Uh, I'm just wild about Harry. Uh, memories of you. Uh, my handyman ain't handy no more. Uh, are some of the big hits from the show. So uh, is your wife doing the choreography? Yeah, she's doing some choreography. And uh, Robert Crenshaw was doing a lot of the tap choreography. And um, 
and uh, Vivian Watt did some of the uh, uh, choreography initially as well. Uh -huh. So we've got a lot of people working on this show. Uh -huh. Well, is am I correct in uh, thinking the last musical that the Black Rep did was Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope? Yes, that's correct. Because that was pre-pandemic and that was um, um, exceptional. I, I just loved how you captured an era. So I'm excited to see how you're going to capture the, uh, the, the whole feeling of uh, what precipitated the jazz age and, uh, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to really, I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. We got uh, Mark uh, W. Vital is doing the costumes and he's doing a tremendous job of uh, helping us to establish the period with the wonderful costumes that he designed for us. Uh, Tim John Tim Jones is our scenic designer, and um, I think that it's a wonderful, wonderful design team. Jasmine Williams is uh, lighting the show, who has lit uh, all of the shows that this season in the Edison Theater. She also lit uh, Don Trail, who kissed the sea. She and won. She the won. Award. She, yeah, she yeah, won the she, award for Don Trail. And that so she's, was beautiful. That was just so beautifully uh, rendered. Well, that's you just mentioned something that we need to let people know because the last Black Rep show was at COCA. This one is at the Edison Theater at Washington University starting May 3rd. Right. May 3rd through May 21st uh, at the Edison Theater. And um, it is the final show of season 40. Six. Six. <laughs> Season six. Yes. Which has been so good. Uh skeleton crew. I and I know Tim Jones did the uh, uh scenic design for Sweat, which was one of right. my favorites. And uh, -huh. uh the SPACs, what they did with Skeleton Crew. Oh, was just pretty phenomenal. I oh, just so so good. So yeah, so it's exciting. You have some real fine talent doing the technical work, you know, speaking of Jasmine with the sound and the, I mean, the lighting and the sound people, because uh, it's really neat to see these uh, young folk, uh, you know, learning their craft. So, yes, yes. kudos and, to and, you. you know, and, and, and having an opportunity to practice it. Yeah, so kudos to you for giving young people like Brian who is just getting better as an actor uh, in, you know, Skeleton Crew. And he's he's the one that, uh, if if anybody attended the theater circle, he's the one that gave the speeches all right. night, you know, and said, right. but no, it's just great the, to see uh, the excitement of, uh, I don't know, just a new way of looking at things because us, older people have you know it's good to have some fresh perspective yeah well you know we we've got plenty of it on on stage starting may 3rd uh young fresh talent i think um uh, a musical that people haven't seen and i think um it's going to be a wonderful wonderful evening in the theater that'll be good because we need some lively liveliness and i hope uh um 
I hope that uh, your announcement for this for the upcoming season. Do you know when that's going to be? It will be soon. We hope to um, we hope to uh, make the announcement uh, by opening night of the season of, of UB. I mean, oh, so that's we're good. waiting. Yeah, we're waiting uh, on a couple of properties that we've been negotiating. Um, and so we hope to be able to make the announcement in the next couple of weeks. Well, very cool. And speaking of youthful energy, you have it. You have oodles and oodles of it. So, <laughs> so uh, break a leg and we look forward to seeing you. And go to the blackrep dot, is it dot org? Dot org, yes. It's theblackrep.org yep and you can get your tickets there and they have a special Wednesday nights $20 you can't beat it right $20 Wednesdays and uh, the, so get out early and see the show and spread the good news thanks a lot you keep up you keep rocking right. on thank you. thanks so <laughs> thank much thank you thank you <laughs> All right. bye thanks Ron righty. thank you bye 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 well, we have a full house of movies and theater to talk about, but uh, let's give our uh, condolences and our, our uh, sympathies to for the loss of Harry Belafonte. Jump in the line. Anybody that's seen Beetlejuice knows a whole bunch of Harry, Harry Belafonte songs. What a trailblazer. If you've seen the documentary Sydney. About Sidney Poitier? Yes. He accredits Harry Belafonte for bringing him into the civil rights movement. And Oprah said yesterday that Harry funded a lot of the civil rights movement. He was close personal friends with Martin Luther King Jr. He uh, helped fund the Freedom Riders because causes, as we know in the 60s, all well and good and uh worthy but you need money to fund it and he helped and his calypso album was the first record to sell over a million copies wow yes the banana boat song and all the the music of the islands he introduced americans to that so that when you hear it in beetlejuice uh, it strikes a chord. So yeah, people thought he was born down there, but no, he was born in New York City. Right. And he uh, was such a legacy. He's an EGOT winner. Harry Belafonte is? Yes. He huh. won Emmys, Grammys, an honorary Oscar, ah. and Tony. So yeah, he's an EGOT winner. And he won the president. Well, he received the presidential uh, medal of honor, as he should have. But what a great man, great human being, and a great talent. And Sherry Belafonte is his daughter. That's right. Mm -hmm. So wanted to give props out to that because the news this week has been so uh, explosive that his passing might not have caught the eyes of others, but uh, we, we talked about it on the radio. Yeah. Well, you know, he needs to be, cause it, what a legacy 
and he needs to be remembered. So Andy Cohen, uh, one of our St. Louis treasures, is going to get his Walk of Fame in the Del Mar Loop on May 6th. Yay, good for Andy. I know. Andy is a great ambassador to St. Louis. And well, well, I... I I like Andy as a person. Uh, His radio shows are really good, but I do not watch Bravo. (laughs) I don't. I no, no. I don't watch any of those Real Housewives. I don't want to spend the time. I appreciate what they are and what they do. It that's just not for me. No, he's got a great following. Um, I don't watch it. I like that in the background of his Watch What Happens. He has. St. Louis uh, little tchotchkes. Yeah. And he's a great supporter of of things. And what he and his family have done for doorways, uh, the charity that helps uh, uh, people with AIDS and HIV and others is remarkable. And he's got that ice cream at uh, Clementine's Peppermint Andy at Christmas. Christmas time. Yep. That Ray has raised thousands of dollars for doorways so it's really good i interviewed his mom one time because uh andy's roots are in o'fallon illinois and i did an article for the belleville paper and she was just the most delightful woman and uh, she told me that when he was a child and she would reprimand him he would wink at her he goes he winked at me but her parent his parents have been a stars on the CNN New Year's Eve night that he does with uh, Anderson, Anderson Cooper. Cooper. And, and that's usually fun. But Andy's one of those personalities that uh, he went to Clayton High School. He uh, remembers where he came from. And he has this jovial quality to him that belies that he has worked really hard because his mom was telling me about how he was an intern in CBS news and he just worked, 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 and they kept him on. And he produced a lot of things before he ever got in front of the camera. Yes. Yeah. He was, he wasn't, his job was to find talent and produce shows. He wasn't going to be a TV star that just fell upon him. That was fantastic. I love, I love Ron. He's very talented and very smart. So talented. And uh, the more you uh, see what he's doing, the uh, power of those shows. Tremendous. Tremendous. Well, well, Lynn, let's get into the movies that came out this week. Um, Let's start with the one that everybody loves. Okay. It's are, are you there, God? It's me. Well, you know what? I felt handicapped watching this movie as first a male of the species and second as someone who never read the book. I never read the book I, when it came out in 1970. Uh, the uh, the the plot starts in the summer of 1970 when Margaret just returns from summer camp. And uh, her family's going to move to New Jersey from New York. And she's 11, going to be in sixth grade. She's not too happy with her parents about the move, but she will adapt and navigate all the adolescent angst that comes with being a, a, t- a, a tween and also 
the uh, uh, We Relive Puberty With Her. And this is a <laughs> rare gem of a movie, but I didn't read the book because I was going to be a junior in high school and we weren't messing with uh, those kid books, you know. And so uh, it has a sustained in the beginning of the film, they have a little segment with a montage of, of people who adored this book and how much it meant to them and the including same, Rachel McAdams and Sosie Bacon and Marge Simpson. Yes. The, yes. And it talks about how they felt less alone going through all these changes because we all remember that well, period of life where it was awkward and we were mortified and we felt inadequate and we thought we were the only people feeling like this and we were so afraid to make a misstep or wonder why you know others were maturing faster than we were and this movie nails every single emotion and feeling and the young actress that's playing margaret is exceptional. Abby Ryder Fortson, who was the original Cassie Lang in the Ant-Man movies. So she, you know, when they aged her up, she went off and did something better. Yes. And her parents are played by Rachel McAdams and Benny Safdie, who is quite an unusual choice, I think, because he does such edgy stuff in in well, his career he, he and his brother he and his brother directed adam sandler in uncut gems and, and that was one of, that's their and, biggest and one of their most underrated and unbelievably great thrillers good time and he's actually right. he's he starred in that with robert pattinson and that made me realize robert pattinson was a very good actor and it was like, who are these Safety brothers? And so they are made it. But Benny has uh, also a separate career as an actor. And he plays this loving husband and father. And he is just like, you know, he's not a bumbling, idiotic dad. He's like a normal dad. And Rachel McAdams. He's, he's is, not a sitcom dad. Yeah, no. And, and Rachel McAdams is this mom who is just trying to figure it out as well as Margaret is. And uh, she's, they're very natural as the parents and just the little looks, you know, in film, it's all about the, uh, the looks, the eyes. And just those little looks, they like when, when uh, Margaret likes a neighbor boy who's mowing the Loose. lawn. And the I mean, look, uh, these aren't spoilers. These, this book is 50 years old. Yeah, the the look between the parents is priceless. Because yes, because the parents the parents know that she has a crush on this neighbor boy, and so they're feeding into it. Yes, and they just have that look about their daughter's growing up and she's entering womanhood, and just every part of the school, like the the cute boy that isn't so nice. No, he's and, he's a jackass. Uh, just, 
well, yeah. And the and then the 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 misfit kid who has the school party, and then the poor girl that's tall and developed who um, just can't. Laura Danker can't seem to fit in because the girls gossip about her. And then you have the ringleader of Margaret's new friends group because she desperately wants to fit in and be normal. And she hooks herself up with this group, but this Nancy. The preteen sensations. Isn't so altruistic. Let's put it like well, that. It, everyone I've talked to says, well, uh, that's not true. There was one person that said, who was a girl, she felt, she's like, I don't know. I Something must have been different in my childhood. She didn't like it. But everybody else loved it. And they said it was very faithful to the book. They beefed up Rachel McAdams' part a little bit, but not too much. Yes, that's I, I saw an interview with Judy Bloom, and she said that the mom part, the, the director of this also wrote it, and Judy Bloom did not let this book be turned into a movie for 50 years. Yeah, well, she, uh, Kelly Freeman Craig, she almost, she also did another coming of age movie that I liked, Edge of 17. Yes, Haley Stanfield. Mm -hmm. And who played I, her brother I, in that? Um, I, I remembered that her, the teacher was uh, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, it was a very good movie for for those coming of age movies. This is going to be. Oh, it was Blake Jenner. Blake Jenner played her husband, and oh. uh, Haley Haley Lou Richardson was her friend, and Kira Sedgwick was her mom. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Well, she has hit a home run here, and it's not only going to be one of the best movies of the year. I feel at the end of uh, when is all said and done. And I can see the Alliance of Women Film Journalists and my women's committee on the Critics' Trust Association. We're going to give it the seal of our approval. I know. And uh, well, it is it is it is very earnest. It is very it is very wholesome. And even though it's it is about very awkward and becoming an adult things, it's very good at expressing it in a non icky way. There's there's a lot of things that could be the ick. This is not one of them. No. And uh, as we know from Turning Red, uh, yeah. they address girls getting their periods because this is a fact of life. And well, they were making it. They made it into a contest. Right. And then uh, it's uh, interesting, especially about going to the drugstore and buying sanitary napkins. And one of the audience members last night told me her dad ran a drugstore in town. And back when we had local drugstores and uh, her mother went and got, every, or, or he brought home every single kind uh -huh. in a bag. She was just mortified. You know, that her dad brought all this home. And this is the feelings that you tap into in this movie. You totally remember what it was like trying to fit in. And and then the teacher is a good teacher. It's not a it's not a like a you know a, a caricature. None of these characters are caricatures at all. Caricatures. They, there's not a false note. They all feel well so lived. real. 
Yes. And also Fully developed characters. That is a good way to put it. Uh, I just glanced, I didn't read, but I just glanced the overall critic response and it's just universal praise. And this is coming from guys where I was, you know, which as you know, you're a guy, uh, you thought like, well, I liked it. (laughs) The guys that I did, because you, you also feel you, you recognize the boys you recognize the girls, you recognize the parents. And how about Kathy Bates as the grandma? Ah, uh, we have not mentioned Kathy Bates as grandma. She's that, hilarious. She is. And she brings a dynamic to the film that is in the book, I understand, about religion. Because as mentioned in the name, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Margaret has <laughs> two parents of different faiths. She has a Jewish dad and a Christian mother. And they decided because of what happened when they got married to let Margaret decide. And so therefore her sixth grade project is to try out a whole bunch of religions. And that's a school project. And it actually, it feels like something that actually could be done because I know in high school religions of the world, I, you had to go to these different faiths and see what's going on. And Kathy Bates has a great line when they go to temple I like this rabbi. He keeps it right at two hours. <laughs> I know. And uh, it's uh, the the granddaughter and the grandma have a special relationship. Yes. And uh, she's a very modern grandma. And uh, the fashion in this just nails 1970. And, and the music is on point two because I'm I'm doing are. a I'm doing a music bingo this weekend at the Elks Lodge where I frequent and therefore I've had to divide music into categories. So I know that some of that, these songs are 1970 songs or if they're from the 1960s. So I know that these songs are on point because, you know, I, because I was asked by our buddy, Jim Bats, did they get any songs wrong? And it starts in the summer of 1970 and ends in the spring of 1971. And everything seems to be, Right where it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. George Harrison and also uh, Spirit in the Sky. Blue and Stevie Wonder. Yes. And uh, what another thing about we uh, we touched on it briefly. Rachel McAdams as the mom. She was an art teacher in the city. And then she decides she's going to be a stay at home mom in New Jersey. And. she eventually and she volunteers for all these pta committees and she can't say no and she realizes that she needs to say no and then she does go back to work but it's her evolution too as trying to balance motherhood and career which i thought was a really nice aspect of it and uh especially the mom that control you know everybody every pta Every group has got one of those moms that's running everything and knows best. And I like that Rachel McAdams can't cook. And uh, she, when everybody's laughing, when she's got the recipe for no-fail pot roast and is making that for a big family dinner, and we all crack because I I turned, my companion kept commenting the whole, uh, the whole time about how real this movie was. And I said, I made that many a time. 
who, you know, it's just like that is the pot roast from your childhood. Yes. And it's everything about this movie is authentic. Nothing seems forced. Nothing seems like it's not earned. And I really, really enjoyed it. No buts. That's it. No notes. I know. It's just like, I'm going to gush. I told Kent when I'm turning it in for Webster Kirkwood Times, I said, I'm going to gush. And then, uh, you know, I'll do it. Well, Wendy uh, and Jennifer, when I'm on KTRS Friday, uh, Wendy had, you know, uh, raised two girls. Yeah. So I'd be surprised if they haven't read it. But the the religion stuff, the reason it's controversial is because it tackles religion, but it did so in such a such a realistic way. And then this book is banned, which I don't even understand. And that's for a whole other discussion. But this made me want to read the book. Well, I want you to. It's a children's book. Judy Bloom, like her other books have been made. Uh, there was a whole there's a whole series about fudge and super fudge and tales of fourth grade nothing. I believe like her books for older people, wifey, I don't think that's ever been made. My colleague at the Webster Kirkwood Times, Kent Tentert, said his wife wants wifey to be made into a movie because the first scene is a naked man on a motorcycle. Just saying. Oh, those were adult books and she was right to protect this. And I'm glad that it turned out as good as it did because it could have been absolutely horrible. Oh yeah. This is, this is one of the classic coming of age stories. I can't remember a girl. Well, eighth grade, eighth grade. Fantastic. Was a gem and there's other ones, but this is the movie that women uh, and I hope other generations and other, uh, you know, and guys will just say, even though you weren't alive in 1970, it just feels universal. Well, and- OK, so our buddy, our buddy Max Foise said reading this book as a preteen, you have a relationship with it and you can experience what you're experiencing. And there's reading a book is a different experience than seeing it with a as a movie with either your parents or your friends, because that's a communal experience rather than something solo. And he was wondering if you could have a communal experience on something so possibly personal to you. And I think that you can. I do too. And I also think this is all in the details. It's all in the details from the teeniest to uh, you know, to the larger themes, but James Brooks has James Brooks is one of the producers, which is why Marge Simpson's at the beginning of this film, because James Brooks could get her. And so Gracie films produced this. And as his previous productions, like terms of endearment or broadcast news, broadcast news, he knows what he's doing. And this is another example of a movie that gets it right we've spent a lot of time on this Lynn. yes we have but i just want just to, to tell people to go see it yes uh and and blink and you'll missing but ruben ruben stuttered american idol season two winner plays a gospel church uh a, 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 a church pastor and also blink and you'll miss it judy blooms in the moving walking a dog yeah. Well, let's move on to a movie where reviewers have not been so kind, but I thought it was fun. Ghosted. 
I liked Ghosted. Max and I talked about this on Max on Movies last week, and it is a fun film. It is. Don't think too much about the plot or the insertion of like my Sharona uh, when they're chasing in the. Uh, yeah, the needle drops Pakistan. are a little much. But Lauren Balfi is a good composer, and I thought he did fine with the action. Uh, Anna de Armas and Chris Evans, this is their third movie together after Knives Out and The Gray Man. And they are pretty people and they have a nice chemistry together. And uh, there's a spark there with these characters. And as a high concept rom-com, I was there. I went with it. I went with all the ridiculousness. Uh, the plot is not very original. Yeah, it is. I think I think it is. This movie's just getting crapped on. I the only two people we should mention that are in the movie are Chris Evans and Anna de Armas because everybody else is an extended cameo or just a cameo because this is a two-hander and these two are the star. Everybody else is just window dressing because these two are the leads and it's a surprise every time somebody new turns up. So I don't want to mention anyone. No, even it's her. The, I, well, I will say her um, his sister, Maddie Turner, played by Lizzie, Lizzie Broadway. Lizzie Broadway. She's, she's I've never seen her before. And she is really good as the snarky, sassy sister. Well, I that, saw her on uh, Jenna Fisher's sitcom uh, splitting up together. Oh, OK. Well, so okay. I, I knew who she was because I'm like, I know who that is. And But I don't want to say uh, the, the only other person I would say that has a lead role, I guess, would be Mike Moe. Yeah. Who who is the who's the typical bad guy henchman? Yeah. Well, there's a there there is, I will say, the the espionage plot is yes. pretty generic as it was but i like the trope that they flip where he's the damsel in distress and she's yes. the badass i yeah, like i i thought it was i thought it was well done i thought it was clever and as max foise pointed out the first 27 minutes of this look like a run-of-the-mill hallmark movie they commit for a long time before you get told what's really going on in this film. Yeah. Well, I thought the date was epic. And it's a great date. It's they, like a be it's before sunset, before midnight kind yeah. of movie. Yeah. They meet uh cute. Yeah. At a farmer's market. And uh it's good, but I, I do like that, you know, the whole thing about the texting, like, um, you know, how many times did you text her? Emojis don't count. Yeah, yeah, that was just fun. And then the banter, the banter. I could see it turning into like a, a little, um, like a Thin Man kind of thing or, a, you know, like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of deal. Uh, but that's not going to happen, I don't think, because of the review. But hey, Apple TV Plus knows what the heck they're doing. I liked it. I thought it was really well done. And I thought that there were surprises around every turn, even with casting and also with it's fun. I didn't I didn't mind 
how it's not, my wife thanked me when we were done watching this movie. She said, thank you for turning this on. I really enjoyed it. So I liked it there. Of course, the ending is cartoonish. There's a whole bunch of cartoonish things in here because, you know, she's a super spy. Therefore, it's cartoons. She's well, the she's one of the best things in No Time Death Left, No Time to Die, the last James Bond film. And she's the best Bond girl in that movie. And she is, well, she's not, you know, yeah, she's a badass CIA agent. She knows her way around an action movie, as does Chris Evans. And the uh, director is Dexter Fletcher, who did Rocket Man. And supposedly and he uh, did Eddie the Eagle, who I, which I love, and did the uh, allegedly did yeah. the Wembley Live Aid scene in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I was going to mention, supposedly he did more on Bohemian Rhapsody than he's giving than credit we for. Know. And then the screenwriters are four guys, but they are connected with Deadpool trilogy and the uh, Spider-Man uh, trilogy with Tom Holland. So they know their way around a quip. And I think they use it to their advantage. And I think that's why uh, it has that snappy repartee and... Uh, yeah, no, it's just fun when the, the, the cameos keep on coming and you're like, look, 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 this is just fun. It is comfy home entertainment. I don't know how it would translate in a theater, but I found that it's a, such a pleasant diversion watching it at home. Well, the guy from RogerEbert.com gave it half a star. And I don't, that is, that's unfair. Oh, people just trashed it so much. Uh, Wendy talked about that uh, on the air because she usually uh, uh, goes to Entertainment Weekly and she mm -hmm. said, they gave it a D. And I go, yeah, I know. It's like these cynical big town hipster people got a trash on it. And I don't know why they think it's so awful because you could do a lot worse because they have chemistry together. You know, rom-coms are all about the chemistry. They are not really that much about the plot. One of the best scenes in Knives Out is the scene where they have together and that changes the entire movie. Their scene together is so well done and then it is a catalyst to the rest of the film. If they didn't have that scene together, the movie would be not as good. Right. So you, and they they've they've taken that to an nth degree in Ghosted. It's on Apple Plus. Watch it because you will not be disappointed. If you are, I'm sorry. If this is a fun rom-com action comedy. Well, the first 27 minutes are rom-com, then it becomes an action comedy. Right. Well, it is well, yes, and uh, well, we have another one I saw this week that you didn't. It's a very artsy movie yeah. called Showing Up. It is really for people who beat to different drummers. It is by Kelly Reichardt, who uh, is an indie darling. She directed First Cow. She has directed Michelle Williams in Wendy and Lucy. Um, Meek's Cutoff is one of hers, uh, a certain women. Uh, she, uh, this time, this is a slice of life movie that meanders. And, well, and you, she's, well, if it's not like first cow was like a big action film, 
she's known for slow cinema. Yes, and this is slow to the point of almost dull. Well, she this is her fourth time that she's worked with Michelle Williams. Yes, and Michelle Williams plays a frumpy artist and she uh, uh, excels in pottery. Andre Benjamin, AKA Andre 3000, Andre 3000, plays a fellow art teacher. She teaches in an art school. It's very artsy. It shows the creativity. If you've ever hung out in an art department at a yeah. school or hung out somewhere where they have art classes, uh, as Jim Batts said, you could almost smell the turpentine. Huh. And so it's people who are expressing their art, getting ready for shows. Hong Chao is her neighbor slash landlord. And uh, Michelle's parents are played by Judd Hirsch. And I'm not sure who the... Um, the mom is, but she uh, she's at the same school Michelle's at, and her brother is John Majero. Okay, and he's a troubled soul, but her parents so are. This divorced. is this is out uh, out by a twenty four. So a twenty four has two movies out right now. Bo is afraid and showing up. <laughs> yes, some people really like this movie. Uh, oh yeah, it's 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 got them. three times the approval as Ghosted. Yes, and Alec McPherson, my uh, extremely talented website writer, he says it's one of his favorite movies of the year. So it it speaks to artists. It speaks to the soul of an artist about trying to do your creativity and trying to express your art when you just have the daily drama of your family and friends and work to deal with when you just want to be creative and, you know, stay focused. And then you got to deal with real life. So that is the common. Why didn't, why didn't you like it? Because it meanders and it isn't about much of anything. She's living her life while being an artist. Yes. And that's all well and good. It's good people. I'm sure it has a feeling, but you know, I want. You want some. Uh, you want some plot. Yeah, I want some plot. At I least first cow. Had, first cow had plot. There was there was danger. Yes, and there's not, not any, have that. That well, you're just plopped into the middle of their lives here. There's no backstory. You don't well, have much character development. It's all the actors just given that to you are you going to watch peter pan and wendy i am i'm going to watch it uh later but uh based on what uh other people are saying hmm, these live okay, action yeah, me, i will i will just say this this is another disney live action showcase which is based on both the book the play well and that both all three it's based on the book the play and the 1953 Disney film. So it's not just one source because some has the clapping for Tinkerbell. Other has uh, Tinkerbell betraying Peter Pan. This is not that this is all about girl power 
That's why it's called Peter Pan and Wendy, because Wednesday Wendy is as much as a hero as Peter is, but it's fine. It's fine. And Disney's going to get yelled at for having a diverse cast. Jim Gaffigan's really funny as Mr. Smee. But I will say this seems unnecessary to be made as a lot of these uh, Disney live action ones have been for this reason. Because Disney is has been sitting on Spe- Peter and the Star Catchers for at least 10 years now. They've They've had people ready to write it they've had it ready to go which is the book that was a uh, award-winning play on broadway about the peter pan origin story i don't know why you would dilute your ip intellectual property while you have something really good sitting there ready to go i think them making this is just gonna dilute it and peter pan has been made so many times that this doesn't bring it does bring new stuff to it, but it does not bring anything that would not be overshadowed by a Peter and the Starcatcher movie. So I'm just letting you know that. So when you see it on Disney Plus, it opens this weekend. Uh just know that there's something better waiting in the wings, and I want that to happen. Peter and the Starcatcher, the book series is fantastic. It's by uh uh, Dave Barry and uh, Rick Reardon. I love the Peter and the Starcatcher books because I I don't think of it as pixie dust anymore. I think of it as star stuff because of that book series. And I really wish instead of doing Peter Pan and Wendy, they would have made Peter and the Starcatcher. But I know there's going to be a little bit of pushback because Tinkerbell is African American and it's gonna that some of the lost boys are females wendy goes hey you're not all lost boys you're lost girls and one of the lost girls one of the twins says so and then wendy says yeah i guess that makes sense and then they move on so they acknowledge what people are going to say but so what it it doesn't matter so i do How's Jude Law as? That's another thing that's weird. Jude Law is Captain Hook, but Alan Tudyk is George Darling. Usually you have the same person play George Darling as you do Captain Hook, but there's some sort of twist in this one, which is the reason that they don't. So Alan Tudyk is a great George Darling, and Captain Hook, Jude Law is is having a lot of fun in this. So, uh, and the kids are, the kids are good. Normally you'd hate the kids because, you know, the kids are fine. The kids are good actors. That's not the reason I don't care for this movie. It's not that I don't care for it either. It's just the fact that I'm looking forward for something else. And this is what we have. Mm -hmm. So I want you to watch it this weekend. And then I, and one, tell me what you think. Okay. Well, uh, another uh, film that's opening just this weekend that we uh, uh, that I haven't seen yet is going to be at the High Point Cinema St. Louis is presenting the Carol King docu- concert documentary. Yes, from Home 1970 again, what? three, three. Okay, 
where she's live in Central Park, uh, 1973. And uh, so they're going to have it on Friday and Saturday. And uh, go to cinemastlouis.org to check the times. And uh, I think this is a great precursor to seeing Beautiful at the Muni. Yes, it will be. It, it will be a nice wedding of the appetite. Lynn, yes. where can we find you this weekend? I am in Webster Kirkwood Times on Fridays, Thursday nights too, sometimes. And uh, the KTRS on Friday morning at 11 with Jennifer and Wendy. And I am on my website, poplifestl.com. And also here, Carl. Well, you can find me on 97.1, the Mark Cox Morning Show, Monday through Friday, and on the weekends on Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors on KMOX and 97.1. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm going to do a big photo dump at the end of the month at underscore Carl the Intern. Lynn, I hope you have a great weekend and we shall talk again next week. Thank you. And I understand you're going to go see Broke. I'm which... going to go see Broke, which has just been extended till the middle of may now so that's out at westport yeah so it's it's totally fun it's the game show show and you'll see me there on saturday night yeah it's a fun crowd and uh it's uh two improvised uh uh comedy veterans uh ryan myers and ashley rube and uh the is we had liz muller on our show and she is a firecracker and it's definitely uh, a live wire type of show where wackiness will ensue and it feeds off the energy of the crowd. So come prepared and you can win a ton of prizes. Yes, I and, hope so. Uh, yes, you have to just be willing to go on stage and do that. Uh, now, um, oh, real- darn. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, well, uh you know, uh, I will. I, I'm sure you can, Carl, and I'm sure uh, your lovely wife uh, as well. There are two uh, plays that I want to mention. Well, Wicked's going on till May 7th, but yes. there's two plays I want to mention. Gruesome Playground Injuries is playing at the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center, but it is the uh, rep's return to the studio series named for the late, great Steve Wolf. And this play is so good. And it's a two-hander, Jessica D. Williams and St. Louis native Brian Slayton play two damaged souls who have a 30-year friendship. And it's wonderfully written by Rajiv Joseph. And uh, I, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And then Doubt, a parable, is playing at the Kranzberg and by the Prism Theater Company, and it's got a wonderful cast, and everybody will recognize Kate Durbin from Channel Nine Pledge Drive. Yes, and she plays the Battleax Sister Aloysius. All right. Well, have a great weekend, and we'll talk again next week. So long, farewell. Have a good weekend, Bye. everybody. Enjoy this glorious spring. <laughs> <laughs>